Well, as you may well know, um, I am a proud dog owner. Uh, this is Savvy. She's a German Shepherd. Uh, she is now a little over ten and a half months, and she is such a good dog. I mean, uh, she got potty trained when she was like first week, pretty much. Um, and like, unlike a lot of dogs, we can leave her in the house, and she won't chew up the place. Yeah. So she's earned a lot of trust in our family. At the same time. Um, we are very conscious about not setting up bad habits for her. One of the habits that we really want to make sure we nip in the bud and never let this happen is some dogs, when they're thirsty, instead of going to their bowl, they go to the toilet. You know what I'm talking about? And so she hasn't done that yet. But well, my wife especially is deathly afraid that she's going to do it once, and for whatever reason, she's going to like it. So the rule in the house is the toilet seat has to be down. The toilet seat has to be down. Now, I'm not talking about like guys, you know, who put the whole two layers up and leave it up. Uh, I got potty trained when I got married, and I tried to put the foot one down, right? <laughs> it took me more than a week to tell you that. Uh, but now, I don't know why, but sometimes I'm busy, and I don't put the top down. And this is how I know. My wife would be like, who did it? Who did it? Who did it? Right? So in our family, sometimes we have a bit of a blame culture, right? But usually it's, it's me. I've got to be honest, uh, it's confession time. It's usually, it's me. Because she wants to make sure, and we want to make sure that, that she doesn't start that habit. But uh, have you ever been in a blame culture environment where somebody actually does something, and it might be your family, it might be amongst your friends, like you know, the, the one who smelt it, dealt it, uh, or it might be amongst your workplace. You don't want to be the one who's you know, having to be accountable for everything. In fact, sometimes people, you play the blame game and they'll point at each other so that they don't have to be accountable. Sometimes we even use that word accountability as a way to actually to access blame. Especially when it comes to our leaders. Especially when it comes to people that we want to say, we hold you accountable. And so we use this language. Something goes wrong in our country. Something goes wrong with a project. Something goes wrong, and what do you do? All right, who's the one accountable for this? We're going to hold them to account. But actually, oftentimes, we don't realize, whoa, we are the ones. I'm the one that's accountable. Accountable not just to each other or to our boss or to an authority figure, accountable to God. In fact, that's one of the clear descriptions of what it means to be in relationship with God. That God cares for us enough to pay attention to who we are, how we live. Jesus says stuff like, you know, you are going to be on, on the hook for every, was my own translation, every word that you say, every word will be held accountable. Listen to the Sermon on the Mount. As a way of saying, God takes your actions, your thoughts, your life so significantly. Um, unfortunately, our generation doesn't like accountability, and we haven't actually talked about it quite a bit. We like the idea that we're going to be held into accountability, but very few of us know what that means. Or our churches actually not, either don't know what it means or don't like the idea of being held in accountability. Um, in fact, uh, I saw a figure in Barna that said that they, they accessed a bunch of people and spread of people and they asked them, how many of you as Christian adults feel like your church keeps you accountable? Accountable to live a life that's congruent with God and the scriptures. In other words, that your life matters, and how you live is your church is actually helping you to stay accountable to that. 5% said yes. That means 95% of Christians can say, there is nobody in my church who cares enough for me 
that if I'm struggling or if I'm going spinning off in a direction, that in fact they're going to actually keep me into account. It means a lot of people are going to church to church. They're in worship services. They have relationships with churches, but not in an accountability context. We don't always know how to receive accountability or how to give it. Handling accountability is not something that we're very good at. However, we're going to find in life that you, it's very hard to do something very meaningful, hard to do something challenging by yourself. It's extremely difficult to do life change, to change your patterns of life, your habits of life by yourself. Very few people have that kind of discipline. You need other people to stand alongside you, especially when it really matters. Well, we're going through a whole series now called Practicing Devotion because what I'm finding is that what really matters is to have a first-hand relationship with God. If, in fact, we are accountable to God, He's the one who's going to be speaking to us, speaking truth into our lives, challenging us, encouraging us, transforming us. But we can't do this by ourselves. We've been doing this for about uh, three, three weeks now, where in our grace groups, our small groups, people are challenged and have committed to do 15 minutes every single day, just time with God through a specific structure. And it's, actually, I think the ladies are perfect. I think the guys are having a very hard time. It's not easy just to do 15 minutes with God each day. Much less the results of that, a life that's in communion, in connection with God, where you're living in accountability before Him. So today... You know, we've been doing different things. Last week we talked about what it means to slow down in life and slow down in the scriptures. Today we're talking about an application point of how do we do this? It's done, we do it together through accountability. But I've got to be honest, accountability is very difficult. Um, in fact, I was talking with Pastor Richard, and he was very excited for the sermon. I was like, why? He's like, he's never heard a good sermon on accountability. And I don't know if this is going to be a good one, sorry. <laughs> but I realized I haven't heard one either. It's like, oh, snap. Um, I have nothing to draw on. I have to really wrestle. Um, it might be a little long because I actually pro- processed this as best as I could, and I try to personalize this as well. But uh, if you can stay along for the ride, I want to start by saying accountability first, the primary, the floor of accountability, and the ceiling. Where are we going to go? The telic end, the, the forward version of this, is we are accountable to God. Before we're accountable to anybody else, our primary accountability is to God. There's this reminder in the book of uh, verse, uh, Romans 14, 12, the most simplest version of this. So then, each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. However, you see this all throughout, even in the Old Testament. Near chapter 4, Cain actually is brought into accountability before God. We see this all throughout Old Testament and New Testament. That one day, when we see him face to face, it's not just, you finally made it, but it's, how did you live? Some people, even in our culture, live completely clueless that at the end of our lives, however long it is, we're going to stand before God and have to make an account, not only for our words, how we used our money, how we treated people, how we lived. Well, there is one parable that Jesus uses to actually shake people into remembrance about this. And he uses many of them, but one of them goes, uh, he told this parable, Jesus, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. That means... uh, Beyond his expectations, he struck it rich because harvest means food. It means security. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. 
Now, most of us don't, aren't farmers, and we have no idea what this means, so I'll use a modern-day example. Imagine if you won the Powerball, and you are now $1.6 billion richer. One guy in South Carolina, one guy won $1.6 That's a lot of billion dollars. He became a bill, well, actually, probably taxes took half of that. Um, uh, he became half a billionaire overnight. That's, that's crazy. It's really funny. Can you imagine if that happened to you, and you didn't expect it, and now you're like, how am I going to spend this money? The funny part is, a lot of people actually bought the ticket and before they won, thought through, how am I going to spend this money? <laughs> I know I, some of you are the ones like, I know exactly where I'm going to spend the money. He thinking, oh my gosh, I won the Powerball. What am I going to do with all this money? Well, he tells himself, I know what I'm going to do. I'll tear down my barns, build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. I have more than enough. I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Isn't that the dream? He's living the dream. He's got it made. Unfortunately, he forgot he's accountable to God. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is the scary part. We are accountable to God. We don't know when our lives will end, and, but we do know that every part of our lives are brought before him. It's scary to shock us into realizing God does have all authority over our lives. But it's actually not meant to simply just make us so afraid of God. It's actually to shake us into awareness, to stir us up to say, my life counts. How am I going to live it now with everything that I have access to? If you are living as if you have no accountability to anybody else, you're like this person over here, thinking, like a little house, I'll be fine. God has used actually the theophany, the, the metaphor, and the experience of coming face to face is like a huge tornado, a whirlwind, something beyond your power, and you are not able to say, I'm fine. Um, we all will have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Um, the great part is, Christ isn't some policeman who's going to point out all of our little flaws. He's not this guy who's just a jerk and just follows the rules. He has, he has all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him, but he has all this amazing love and faithfulness and justice and righteousness wrapped up in him. And we face him, we face the one who is not only our savior, but one who calls the best out of us, who says our life is that significant. We have to pay attention to it because he does. I think that's a good grounding for what accountability is. Because we are accountable to God, because God takes our life seriously, we need each other to help us to live a life that is honoring him, that's going to serve him well. You can't do it by yourself. The challenge is too hard. The fight is too big to do it by yourself. Yes, we are going to be accountable to God, but because we are accountable to God, it changes the way that we receive and give accountability to each other. That verse in Romans chapter 14, verse 12, if you see right before and after it, and you should always do this, you'll see the context. What's, what is he talking about here? Paul is actually addressing people who are using accountability to judge and to blame. He says, You then, why do you judge over your brother and sister? Why do you treat them with contempt? We will all stand before judgment, God's judgment seat. Okay? Verse 13, Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. This is the context. 
Some people, not realizing they're going to be accountable before God, find it very easy to make other people accountable to them. Right? You have to satisfy my expectations. You have to do what I say. Uh, and I'll play the blame game and never expect that I have to stand before God. If you understand God's accountability over our lives, it changes the way that we do accountability for other people. Instead of judging them, it actually stirs us to think, how can I help them? How can I care for them? How can I reach them in the same way that God keeps me accountable? I, I think this is important. If we think that accountability is this, just pointing out everybody's flaws, we miss out on God's accountability and we do accountability wrong. When we see God's accountability as like a shepherd, remember Jesus used that, that language? I am like, a good shepherd is like this. He, he leaves the 99 to find the one lost. Then basically that shapes the way you think of accountability. You love this person so much you won't let them just go lost. James 5.19 says, My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth, someone should go and bring that person back. That's actually what accountability looks like. That's God's accountability to us. Not simply, did you get A, A minus is not good enough. But actually, when you are lost, he loves you so much, he runs after you. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. That's the way God works in our lives. He meets us with gentleness, not in judgment. We should be very careful to watch ourselves because if you... Handle accountability where you look at somebody and you judge them. Actually, we ourselves get twisted in that way. We do need accountability. There is no way to grow in Christ, to grow as a person, without that kind of accountability. I found it to be true. Anytime I'm trying to change my daily habits, it's, if I have somebody, if I tell somebody, hey, I'm doing this for the next 30 days, if I do it with somebody, marked difference. Ephesians chapter 4, uh, we're reminded that the body is built up so interconnected with ligaments in such a way that one person will look at another person, they will speak the truth in love, and that's the way that we raise them up. That's the way we build them up. That's how they become stronger in Christ. Do you get this idea? Accountability is not simply judgment. You're doing everything wrong. You're not filling out these checklists of, of, of perfect attitudes and, uh, and actions. Accountability is you care enough for this person that you are looking for the best in them because that person's important. We hold people who have the most brightest and most influential future with the highest level of accountability, don't we? Um, I found out at West Point, they have an honor code system. In fact, that if you lie just once, you're caught in a lie and kicked out. Interesting. Why would they do that, right? Okay, we have professors in here who actually teach chemistry classes and otherwise, and and the amount of plagiarism they encounter is ridiculous, right? But at West Point, it's actually, you lie once, you're out. Why? Because these guys are going to be behind the trigger. They're going to be behind the, behind the nuclear codes. They're going to be actually the ones who are forever, for their lifetime, be involved in defending the country. You know, that if you graduate from West Point and get out of the Army, you're actually constantly, at any point in time, be called back in for reserve because that's the commitment you make. With that kind of significance, that's the level of integrity that's required. Uh, I always laugh because we expect that of our West, Coast, well, West Point students, but what about the most significant influential person in our country, our president? Um, this is how we should hold ourselves 
and our leaders in accountability because of the significance of influence. And that's why God treats us this way. And that's why we should treat each other this way. Not only to make sure they're not going the wrong direction, but real accountability is not just passive when they're screwing up, but actually active to make them great. Isn't that what love is? When you really love somebody, you're going to get everything you can to make them great. That's why I love this verse. I think this verse encapsulates the other side of accountability we miss a lot. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 reads, Let us consider, let us put our thinking caps on, our creativity, our intentionality, our planning, our strategic planning. Do everything we can so that we can spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Our job is to help this other person to live such brilliant lives that they're living lives of love and they're doing well. They are getting better and they're doing better. That's actually what accountability should look like in our setting. That word spur uh, is hard to find in our language. In fact, if you look up a Google search, this what comes up. Because, uh, you know, we, we like the idea of spur, but if you ever saw what it was, it's cruel. Okay, I'm not a cowboy, but um, this is what spur is. It's this attachment, that spinny wheel, that oftentimes is sharp, that you put at the end of your boot. And if you, your horse is not moving, giddy up horse, giddy up horse, and the horse is not moving, in order to motivate it, you stick it in the side with, this, with your heel, and the horse goes, and starts to run because it can't help it because it's been stuck in the side. That's a real strong word, isn't it? Has anybody spurred you on? Okay, Stuck a steely thing along your side and says, come on, let's be more loving. Let's, let's, let's fight. Let's do good deeds. Let's do the, the most challenging thing of our lives, to so live and be like Christ. Um, other, lang- other versions will say, uh, stir up, rile up, arouse, incite. That's a beautiful description of accountability. You know, has anybody done that for you? They saw you. They saw your potential, and they said, what are you doing here? You should be doing so much more, and it's going to take a journey, but I'm going to be there. I'm going to be right in your grill. I'm going to say, don't give up. Let's go there. There's not a lot of that description in our language these days, but uh, old school-wise, I'm going to bring out my old school. Um, I love this movie, not because it's a great movie, because I love this guy, Mickey. <laughs> Okay, Mickey, he's the trainer, and he is so old school. Just his face, it's, it's, he's lived, okay? His face tells me he's lived. But Rocky, who, this is Rocky too, by the way, he had this you know, great fight, and um, he got some acclaim, got some money, and he's kind of living, you know, like he has no motivation. Um, he could be great, but he doesn't have that motivation anymore. In fact, he gets, called, he gets assigned to, to fight Apollo Creed one more time. But he is kind of lowballing what it's going to take to actually get there until his trainer basically says, you bum! You know, if, you know you're wasting your talent. You better train. And so um, he actually, Rocky, wakes up because of his coach, and he starts to train. Now, I, I have some couple clips for you. Um, the audio is on, right? Have some clips, just because you can hear his voice. I love this man's voice. I would like, I would like, I want to make a ringtone of his voice, right? <laughs> I want to, I want to hear his voice in the middle of the night because uh, I need this kind of challenge, encouragement, this kind of accountability. Okay. Face. 
It's the face of not, you're not doing enough, but it's the face of that's it. That's what it's going to take. Wouldn't you love to have this person screaming in your ear all day long? <laughs> push! Push! I tried that with my wife when she was giving birth. I said, we're going to breathe now. She said, no. <laughs> but to have somebody who's so with you, so for you, that's a little picture of how God is. When you think you can't do it, when you think the challenge is greater than you can ever imagine and you are done, to have one to say, that is not the truth. In the corner, he's getting beat up. Sorry. He's getting beat up. And uh, his nose gets broken twice. And he's about to give up. And this is when you need your accountability partner, when somebody's going to be there and saying, he's going to spur you on. This is what he says to him. Again. Mouth off. He's got to be in great shape to withstand that butchering. And I'll tell you, that's just what it is. It's plain old butchering. All right, did the switching bother you? Nothing bother you. All right, but then you should have had him. You can't be hurt. You follow, you can't be hurt because you are too tough. Now, don't let up on this man. This man is dangerous. This man is dangerous. The man is dangerous. That guy's great. No, no, listen, he's only a man. You can beat him because you're a tank. You're a greasy, fast, 200-pound Italian tank. Go to him. Run over him. Okay. Get in the car. Get him. It, it helps to be rocky and not so intelligent. <laughs> I'm a tank. I do it. Right? Uh, he listens. <laughs> okay. He listens. Um, wouldn't you love to have a corner man at, in your biggest fight who's not just whispering, screaming in your ear? You're a tank. I built you with so much potential and strength. I'm filling you. That's God's accountability. He's always looking to make us better, to do better, to be better in Christ. When we understand how God keeps us accountable that way, okay, that, that accountability, when we see the judgment seat of Christ, it's less about, did you not do enough? It's more about, I get to reward you for fighting the fight with me all the way, the way, all the step of the way. That's actually what accountability is. It is a constant building of trust where he gives us something and then he says, what are you going to do with it? Will you give your all to live this life well? Would you build yourself and others to be better? He's actually building trust. It's not a, you have to reach this mark, and if you don't make it, I'll be there to keep you accountable. And so, one more parable that makes a little more sense when you read through this light. It's a parable of talents where it talks about a rich man who's going off, and he gives portions of his property, massive portions, to three different servants. To one servant, he gives him ten talents and says, go to work. Ten talents is like, talents like a million plus dollars. It's a lot of money. Um, to another guy, he gives five, because they have different capabilities. And then he, another guy, he gives one. And it says, I'll be back, but now it's time to go to work. The guy with ten, he didn't tell you his motivation, but he goes to work, and he works industriously with all of his heart. By the time the, guy, the, the, the owner comes back, master comes back, he's made ten more. That's pretty good. That's a pretty good return. If your stocks did that, you're in good shape. Um, the guy with five did the same. He put himself into it. He, he 
threw himself into it, and he made another five. Okay? So when the, when the master comes back, watch what he says. This is really interesting. I always misread this because I thought uh, I was like that third guy, and I thought God was a jerk, and all he wants is return on his investment. But watch what God is after. Watch what the master is after. When he sees the guy who did t- t- 10 and made 10, as well as the guy who made five, um, according to their capability, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will now put you in charge of many things. That's why he did it. He was building a sense of trust, giving this, these, these guys a chance to, to work out their own hearts and their own lives and their own skills so that he could give more influence. I will now put you in charge of many things. The real reason why God actually keeps us accountable is because he wants that last phrase. Come, share your master's happiness. That's what he's after. The last guy is so skeptical, doesn't want to be, and is in denial. Master's not coming back. I'm just going to put it into the ground. If he does come back, at least I can say, here's your talent back. And he, and he actually complains to God saying, oh, you're such a jerk. You know, you're, I know who you are. You're like somebody who wants to make money off of other people's sweat equity. And God calls him out. He reads him right through. This is for that person. This is the accountability. He says, really? You thought I was after that money? Then why didn't you put it in the bank? At least I would have gotten something back. Yeah, you're an absolute liar. There's a place for us to recognize the division between those who understand the accountability God gives. And because we see him, we want to live well. We want to honor him. I think honor is actually the, the, the highest form and the purest form of what accountability works like. I think West, West, uh, West Point students have got it. It's not just about stick and carrot. You, know? you give accountability so you can get rewards or escape the punishment. It's not about that. It's actually about honor. So a couple, a few things to help us to understand. How do we do this practically? What are some things to, to put into practice in terms of both receiving accountability and giving it? Number one, our culture is so caught up in our own sense of privacy. M-Y-O-B, mind your own stinking business, is how we live. Yeah. Who are you to say anything to me? Do not judge. That's an easy way of saying, I get to live my life. I am not accountable to you, right? Now, in a bo- job situation, that's, you can't help that sometimes because your boss, you are accountable to your boss. You are accountable to, uh, even if you're a, a leader, you're still accountable to the people that you lead. But what does it mean to be accountable to your brother and sister in church, to your friend? Um, ultimately, something has to happen where we actually give others permission. Okay? If you're married, you've given them, your spouse, permission to be all up in your business, okay? And they don't need permission. They're all up in your business. But if you're a friend, what does your friendships look like? They look like this, close quarter, okay? passionate, involved. They believe in you. They want to see you, and they believe that you're going to be so great. And they're willing to walk with you, stir you, spur you if necessary. You have to give them permission. You have to ask and give permission for accountability. And when that's given, actually, you've got to follow up on that. Some other things to help us to think about. What does it mean to have accountability? Number one, there has to be clarity in your expectations. What does it look like? Okay? That, what does it mean to actually stay in an accountability relationship? What does it look like to be a disciple of Christ? Often, we don't do that good job of that. We actually say, 
hey, if you want to be a Christian, just raise your hand, you do the sinner's prayer, you're done. But in fact, look at what the way Jesus describes a life in Christ. Okay? Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. He's not saying be flawless. It means grow to a place where one day you're going to look just like him. There are huge expectations. There needs to be some clarity about what it means to, to live this way. If you're going into an accountability relationship just to kind of set a goal, this is still true. And to be re- recognizing the consequences. In fact, there are consequences for our action and our inaction. That there are consequences, good ones. When we really do follow through on trusting God and doing it His way and growing to be better, when we really do follow through on keeping each other accountable, it changes lives. Yeah. There are beautiful consequences, but there are also negative ones. And we have to be reminded of that. Sometimes the most simple consequence of keeping somebody else accountable to do something is actually you don't want to let the other person down. Yeah. So before we did this whole series where we're doing you know, uh, 15 minutes of devotion every day, the pastors and I, we went through this for months. And uh, not 15 minutes, we did our own versions, and some of us did a lot more. But uh, um, I would send out a prompt in the morning. So I, I, I practice this on the pastors. You know, they're like my guinea pig. Uh, we we, we uh, practiced, we prompt, prompted in the morning, and we all committed, clearly, we're going to do our devotion. And there was a lot of flexibility. It just doesn't matter what, and then we're going to share. Um, but because it's done through email, we know exactly when somebody's done their devotion. So if I did mine early, those other two guys know, oh, I have to do my devotion. Uh, sometimes I did mine late. And I know when, and I, I wasn't perfect in it, by the way. There were days where it was just so crazy, and I'm like, but I felt this. My brothers are in it. I'm in it with them. I didn't want to let them down. And they felt that too. It made a huge difference. If you're ever going to do something that you are tempted to say, oh, I'm going to quit in this, but I know this is what I'm supposed to do. I'm accountable to God. God wants me to do this. Make sure you grab some people. Make it public, okay? As best as you can. Make it so that other people are with you in it and they're going to call you on it and they're going to be with you. We're doing that in groups. I think the ladies are doing great. The guys are struggling. Come on, guys. Come on! Come on, guys. Right? We have to do a little better than this. But the whole point is not simply to say, I did it. It's actually to forge a relationship with God where every day you can feel and experience God's accountability in your own life. We are accountable, as that first passage that I preached on. One day, we're going to present ourselves to God. Either as proved, because like Rocky, every single day we pushed and pushed because we heard his voice in our ear, or we'll be ashamed. The fight came. I'm going to have you bow your heads with me as we begin to pray.